Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Apples and Genos Fantasy Hockey Podcast. My name is Nate Groot-Nibelink, and I will be your host. Today, we are discussing the prospects for the upcoming NHL draft, who we should be most excited about for our Dynasty rookie drafts. In order to dissect this topic as deeply and thoroughly as possible, I've got a very special guest for this podcast. It is Mr. Victor Nuno. Victor's the co-host of both the Fantasy Hockey Life and Dauber Prospects Report two exceptional podcasts that you should go check out after listening to this one also one of the sharpest dynasty players out there victor how are we doing today i'm doing great Nate. thanks for that introduction and it's great to be back i think i was on one of the early episodes and i've been really enjoying what you guys have been doing yeah likewise the uh admiration goes two ways for sure and definitely we were talking before i've been following along as you and jesse have been putting out the beat reporter uh, and prospect analysis for every single team uh series that you do every summer really appreciate that especially the prospect stuff it gets so hard for us uh us normal people to keep track of all the prospects for all the teams so having that quick refresher every summer is something i always look forward to yeah it's a it's a massive overhaul but but we enjoy it and <laughs> it definitely someone's got to do it so i guess it might as well be us yeah all right well what we've been doing this off season uh, on the podcast here is we've been doing a little bit of a personal question kind of an icebreaker before we get into the meat of the episode so the one I've got for us today, Victor, is if money was no object, what would you do all day? Wow, this is a this is a good one. It's a deep one. I think there's a lot of options. <laughs> I mm-hmm. probably honestly wouldn't know what to do with myself because I it's really I, my work is a big part of what I do and who I am. But uh, I sure. think that I would probably. I'm a, I'm a pretty avid disc golfer. Anyone who's listened, I probably heard me mention that once or twice. Mm-hmm. So I would probably do that, you know, because you're out in nature, you're getting some physical exercise. You can, you know, hang out with cool people mm-hmm. and the whole family can do it. So I would, I would probably do that and, and just travel all around and play. There's some amazing courses all around the world. So that's, that's probably what I would do. Fair enough. Yeah. For me, there's there's a lot of things like I would I always uh, tell everyone that there's a million things in my head about um, just fantasy in general that I'd love to dig into. I'd love to teach myself some more uh, advanced statistics and teach myself like coding languages and stuff and SQL and stuff so I could get into this even more than I already do. And that's just one side of it. Then. You know, there's other hobbies that I have as well. I love canoeing and camping, so I'd love to do more of that. Um, yeah, I just think that I'd probably find plenty of ways to entertain myself if uh, I didn't have to go to work 40 hours a week. Mm-hmm. All right. Why don't we go ahead and get into the meat of the episode? We've got a bunch of uh, question topics that we'll talk around here. But first off, I think we need to really kind of set the stage for prospects for fantasy for dynasty fantasy in particular uh first off victor can you just give a quick rundown of kind of the resources that you use personally that you're most uh that you trust the most i guess yeah sure Uh, there's so many good things out there and i think that's a good thing to say i don't think anyone can really do this on their own i think the days of you know, just hanging out in the rink and, and maybe evaluating 
certain players while that's valuable like you can't watch everybody and Mm -hmm. you know video is helpful but i use a lot of guides the elite prospects is for me the Mm -hmm. bible of the current draft crop they don't go beyond the current year they do have some great articles on ep ringside but that's the for the current crop so the 2023 is out right now dauber prospects guide of course which i did contribute to this year that's great because they you know they do a lot of team by team they also have you know and the current draftees and and they just have some great analysis it's more fantasy relevant and then there's other things like mckeen's i also Mm -hmm. like a lot of analytical models hockey prospecting is one of my go-tos the nhl ranking app that mason black Mm -hmm. does is also pretty fantastic i also like to cross-reference with other things like top-down hockey you know they have similar models but it's not the same and so it's nice to see when everything jives or it's nice to also see when maybe there's a minority report because that can sometimes be the correct one you never know and then also Mm -hmm. love micro stat tracking that like mitch brown does or Corey schneider with all three zones so i use a lot of that stuff i think it's really important to blend these models with what other people have written and what the eye test shows you I, i try to watch as much as i can but you know, it's kind of impossible to watch everybody and everybody has blind spots. So I think you have to sure. to blend and integrate as, as much as you as you can, I think is really ideal. But yeah, those are kind of my trusted relied sources. And I, I will often look at some other things too, just kind of see, especially if there's something different. A lot of times you'll see these, some of these resources will fall into kind of a groupthink mentality. And yep. then you're kind of reading and seeing the same things. And, and not that, not that you have to read something different because sometimes they're right, but oftentimes mm-hmm. they're not. And so it's good to kind of, if someone's saying something different, like, well, why? And does that make sense? So I try to right. look at those too. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Something I've been getting a little more interested in and trying to find some time to dig into even more this off season is the microstats. And yeah, I see, I think Mitch Brown's, his stuff is in Elite Prospects Guide as well, which I've been mm-hmm. perusing uh, over the last month or so here since it came out. And yeah, I've really been interested in trying to figure out exactly what kind of relevance, like even stuff like um, the transition game, right? Uh, they're tracking some of those microstats now. And does that really translate to us for fantasy? And so that's something I've been thinking about and trying to figure out how I can kind of uh, draw that correlation or that causation and see if we can't uh, find some diamonds in the rough that way. So that's definitely something I'm interested in as well. I think it can. And what I would say about that is that, especially with some guys that you're maybe worried about that have, and we'll talk about some of these guys later, but some guys that have really high offensive you know, IQ or, or, you know, prowess, but if they're not good defensively, if they can't defend the rush, if they're not good in zone defenders, if they can't stop passes to the slot, those guys are not going to play, you know, they're not going to make it to the NHL. So it's helpful to look at some of those specific areas, especially if there's a huge glaring blind spot. And the other thing I should mention is one of the things we have access to at fantasy hockey life, we pay for things like instat and we're kind of transitioning to something called sport contract, which has similar stats, but they have, they have advanced analytics for a lot of, you know, different leagues that we can't normally track, and they and they mm-hmm. can, you can see things like this, like how good are they at controlled entries, how good are they at puck retrievals, how good are they right. defending the transition game, and so that's super helpful. But you know, kind of to your point, it isn't 
always relevant. Like I think it's very situational. Like for some players, it probably just doesn't matter. Their skills are just so good or, you know, it's going to translate. But for some, those specific numbers can really matter and you can kind of track that and see if they're improving or not. And that can give you a really good idea if like this guy's never going to make it, he's going to be a tweener or Mm -hmm. no, I think the underlying numbers are good enough that he's going to, he's going to be there and that can help your projection a lot. For sure. Kind of in that vein, I guess, do you give any weight personally to quote unquote NHL readiness? You know, there's always seems to be that one prospect every year that everyone says is the most NHL ready um, and everybody falls in love. But sometimes, you know, that doesn't lend itself to the most upside for fantasy. Sometimes it does. But uh, do you give any weight to that just because, you know, they might get to the NHL faster and therefore, you know, maybe that improves their value in your dynasty league a little bit? Yeah, I think it depends really on where your team is. If your team is ready to compete sooner now, I would definitely move guys up my draft board that have played pro hockey, like Europeans or first-year NCAA guys. This year, those would be like Fantilli, Matthew Wood, Gavin Brindley, Charlie Stramel, and, Mm -hmm. you know, European guys. If you're not ready, and I've been in, you know, been in both positions, you probably have too, if you're willing to wait then you can get massive value on guys that are pretty far away and you don't mind you don't mind the wait so i think it really depends on where your team is you know i so i'll have different lists for similar leagues depending on if i'm in a different position in each Mm -hmm. one of those leagues so i'll kind of move guys up or down but i do think that's important to keep in mind because and and one of the things that also goes along with this that we'll touch on is is birth date. You know, some of the guys mm-hmm. like Fantilli is really old for this draft class and that's part of why yep. he's so ready. And so that can really matter and that can be really good. It can also mean there's not as long of a runway for that player. He may not improve. Sure. I'm not saying this is true with Fantilli, but he may not the guys that are older may not be able to improve as much. So you always mm-hmm. have to think about that. It's not going to make or break it, but it you can, you know, it's one of those pieces of information that you can consider. For sure. Um, just kind of a general question about positions. So obviously we're trying to fill out our full rosters, our full dynasty rosters, but when we get to the prospect draft, are you considering what you have on your current roster when you're considering who to draft? Maybe that, that goes along with the NHL readiness. You know, if it's, if you're picking a player that you're not expecting to hit your dynasty roster proper until you know three years from now then maybe it doesn't matter so much um but do you have a preference by position do you look at your roster currently and look for gaps and say oh i really need to get a left winger because that's what i'm that's where my team is weak does any of that really play into how you evaluate the prospects and how you go about your rookie draft i would say that positions matter in the sense of their rep replacement value or the value of a replacement at that position based on what's available. But I don't personally, I don't think that you should draft on positional need per se for your team. I really don't think NHL teams should be doing this either. Frankly, I mean, certainly not in like the first round or maybe second round, but as you get deeper, it probably does make sense to do that. And I think that can be true for your fantasy team. So at the top, you probably shouldn't worry about that. But as you get later, you know, especially if there's someone who's pretty close to NHL already. And certainly if we're talking about guys that have already been drafted, you know, some leagues, you're, you know, you're, you're including all guys under certain limits. And there's some leagues mm-hmm. where you can't even add people unless it's at a draft. And so that, that completely changes the, 
the situation. Yep. In that case, it can be different. But I do think it, it you really do have to think about positions. And I think, you know, goalies are we'll talk about goalies later too but goalies are almost never worth it to me um mm -hmm. that's and i know you have similar feelings about goalies but unless you're taking yeah. someone really late like around pick 30 to 60 you probably shouldn't even bother looking at goalies frankly because they're just going to take forever and they mm -hmm. usually don't make that big of an impact you can you know the zero g strategy as you've as you've championed but there are some times where it does matter. This year is not one of those, but when there were Askarovs and Wallstets, I think those guys were worth it. You know, in one of my leagues, Wallstet went first overall, and I didn't hate it. I don't. I wouldn't have done that, but you know, that was the Eklund Clark draft. I had those two guys ahead of him, but I had him third, and and yeah. I and I thought at the time that Wallstet five years from now, five years from then, would be the most valuable to his team, and I I still think that might be true. You know, we we don't know yet, but he's tracking like a number one star goalie and. And those guys are really valuable. So in general, I would stay away from goalies. Defense is tough because they they take longer, but also yeah. there's way more value over replacement there. So mm -hmm. it's kind of a yin and a yang. I like taking D partially because you tend to know a little bit sooner versus later how they're tracking. If they're tracking to work mm -hmm. out well, you keep them. If they're kind of, you know, not really progressing, then you just cut them loose. And couple of years ago i hit the jackpot with mo cider that was pretty nice and yeah <laughs> also taking some most or uh, some uh simon edvinson some brand clarks and some later guys like Caden gooley wyatt kaiser holland zellweger thomas harley these are all guys that were generally available like in the late first or second round of drafts and yep. you know they're contributing to your team and not too much longer and so you know most of those guys have progressed the guys that i'm not mentioning i probably cut them already because they didn't really yeah progress so i like taking them because you'll you'll kind of know and mm -hmm. on the other hand forwards well they're the safest right a lot of people tend to go towards forwards they have the highest likelihood of making it but also statistically the lower impact the lower likelihood of having an impact on your team except at the mm -hmm. very very top of course like the top yeah you know one to one to three percent but you know this year's this year's crop is very strong on high-end forwards and so that makes mm -hmm. a big difference and and so in some ways, they're kind of easier to manage because you kind of know quicker. But I also find that, tell me if you think this is true, Nate, but I kind of feel like people hang on to forwards too long because they make an impact pretty soon. That people kind of hang on to them and they they don't necessarily realize that, you know, these 60-point guys are kind of a dime a dozen, you know. So unless you're hitting like 70-plus point per game, those are the guys you really, you know, you're really trying to get. And th those kind of tweener forwards that are, 55 65 are probably not that interesting but people people hang on to them like they're their best their best assets sometimes and i just find that kind right. of funny yeah no i definitely see the same thing and yeah sometimes you'll have these forwards too where you know they're performing really well in the minors or something like that uh, but every time they come up it doesn't seem to quite work maybe they're not getting played in the top six or they're not getting power play time. So you feel like there's another excuse every time they come up as to why it's not working, but you end up like hanging on to a, a forward for way too long. Whereas I think you're right. In some cases, the defensemen, you see how they track in the, in the lower leagues. Like if they're coming up through the minors, you see how they're tracking and they have a pretty clear path. If they're improving early on, then you have a pretty clear path to the NHL. Um, and a pretty clear path to fantasy relevance. But sometimes the forwards can be pretty solid in the minors and then just 
really kind of irrelevant like you're saying like even if they do hit that um you know back end of your roster 50 to 60 point player kind of ceiling for themselves and you're like okay that guy made the league but did he really move the needle for you um yeah i think that's a really interesting conversation and a pretty sharp observation uh as far as picks so just trading for and trading away and accumulating picks using them to bolster your already existing roster how do you value these picks just in a general sense? Obviously, everybody thinks that the player they're picking is never going to bust. They're going to produce. They're going to move the needle. They're going to be that 70-plus point scorer in the NHL. But we have to, I think, have a little bit of humility here and realize that not everybody, every prospect that we like uh, is necessarily going to be a that big hit. And so how do we kind of uh, take that humility and correctly value i guess these picks in our trades <laughs> yeah i think it so depends on where your team is at right so you have to you have to be really honest with yourself and realistic when you're looking around at the rest of the league like last year i had a team that i, I thought was going to emerge from a rebuild this year and in the prospect draft ivan marishnashenko was falling and I, you know he had the cancer diagnosis and there was some uncertainty with his play. And so I, I traded up to get him. I traded Adam Beckman, a guy who I, I didn't, you know, kind of one of those tweener forwards who I think might be mm-hmm. sort of like not super exciting. And a, and a 2022 second, which was kind of like whatever, to move up 15 spots to get him. And I thought that he could be, you know, he's one of these Russian guys that if things worked out, I think, you know, he can be a top six first line player, perhaps. I didn't know he'd be ready quite so soon he might be ready as as early as this fall but you know that's the kind of i think you need to be realistic with with your picks like that second round pick totally irrelevant to me you know like who am i going to get that's going to be helpful as i emerge from a rebuild like probably no one uh in general yeah just be realistic and realize that most of the picks beyond maybe 10 10 to 15 have very little likelihood of making any impact on your roster you know, regardless of the size of your league, like that's probably not going to do much. Of course, the smaller the league, the the better chance you might have. But you also have to realize that you have a lot of guys on your roster that are totally expendable. You know, I find that that so many people are attached to their low to mid tier guys and they, they don't want to trade them. They think that they're all that they all have, you know, and it's true. They all have a chance to be top contributors, but it's not a very high one. It's kind of unrealistic. So, you know, I'm not saying they're useless, but what is the value of these guys over you know, the, the waiver wire or, you know, the, the lower tier guys, pro- probably not much, you know, especially compared to mm-hmm. the top of the roster guys. So that, that team that I was referencing, my top guys on that team are Jack Hughes, Nico Heeshear, Mayor Heiskanen, Andre Sveshnikov and Cole Caulfield. I have some other pieces, but I'm not going to say that Valerian Nachushkin is as valuable as Jack Hughes. That's, that's ridiculous. And this is a cap league, by the way. So, you know, that adds some complexity to it, but I think you have to be a realistic that like, okay, these guys, and, you know, you can have interest in these bottom guys and you can, you know, have enough of them so that some of them might hit and you have some diversity in those players. But you also have to realize that, like, OK, most of these aren't really going to do much. So feel free to to move them, you know, for some mm-hmm. some lottery tickets or some some upsides. And and generally, the higher you can get in a draft, the more likely it just it's just math, the more likely that someone's going to be relevant. So. What, do whatever you can to bundle and package picks to move up and 
you know, in some cases, in some drafts, it may not be as important in this year's draft. If you can get into that top five, then that's where you want to be beyond that. Mm -hmm. There's still some really good players, but there's a huge gap there. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll definitely get into that. So let's just start this kind of, um, more focused talk on 2023 in the draft class at hand, just in general, what are your overall thoughts on the strength of the draft class for fantasy purposes and maybe compare it to the last year or last couple of years? It's really strong at forward. The the top five forward would have probably gone ahead of everyone last year. I think no, no doubt. And we've been, a lot of people have been talking about this, you know, most of the, you know, Mitch Goff, Fantilli would be pretty awesome. Number one overall picks in just about any draft that didn't have a Connor in it. Mm-hmm. And there's the other guys too, like Leo Carlson, Will Smith, Zach Benson even would be would be pretty reasonable top one picks. And so those forwards are elite. And it's really weak. This year's draft is really weak in defense. I would have take last year's top defenders pretty much over anyone this year. Those would be Yerichek, mm-hmm. Nemec, Minchikov, Matecha, Korczynski, and even yeah. some of the later guys like Pickering, Renzel, Duda, Havlid, Kairu, Luno. Those are pretty similar to the top guys this year. So last year, I kept telling everyone, last year is the year to get your defenseman, mm-hmm. and maybe not this year. Although there's always value, Nate. There's always value. So there's <laughs> still there's still some interesting defensemen in this draft, even though I wouldn't go necessarily fishing for them. And the other thing is that NHL teams can't help themselves but take defensemen probably higher than they should, and so yeah. that's going to boost some of these guys' value. And maybe the wrong ones. And so you might be able to get a real nice value defenseman a little bit later. Yep. Makes sense. So let's get through the class here a little bit. Let's obviously start at the top. We got to start with Connor Bedard. Uh, Everybody knows the name at this point. Everybody's seen the highlight reels, uh, seen him on the world stage at the world juniors, seen what he can do. Uh, Obviously going to Chicago, uh, at the first overall pick, what is our expectation here? It's a pretty barren, barren wasteland, if we're being honest, uh, the Chicago Blackhawks roster right now. So he's going to have to carry the thing himself. I kind of feel like he can do it, but what do you think is a reasonable expectation for him year one there? Yeah, barren, lace, barren wasteland is probably putting it very kindly. It's uh, it's It's rough there. And I think the big thing is that Yes, he can do a lot of it himself, but Chicago really needs to surround him with some NHL talent. I'm not saying they need to go out and spend a ton of money on guys with long term and things like that, but they absolutely need to give him something to work with. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. Andreas happened to see you. They, you know, just announced that he's back. But beyond that, it's like Tyler Johnson, Jason Dickinson, Colin Blackwell. It's like who? Tyler, T- Taylor Radish. You know, of course, there's a uh, there's Lucas Reichel who you know, people should be excited about because he probably will play at least some with Connor Bedard. But, you know, between, you know, if it's Athanasiu, Tyler Johnson, Lucas Reichel, Seth Jones on the power play, like, gross. Um, They need to, they need to improve that. And I think they will. I think, I think it'd be silly for them. I mean, they obviously aren't going to try to be good, but they, if, if they just put Bedard on an island, he's probably going to get hurt realistically and <laughs> just try to do too much, and it's not going to be good for his development. So get him a couple of you know, older vets, maybe some guys that can play, help run a 
good power play, you know, put up some goals and then still lose like, you know, five to three or something like that's what they really want to do. Realistically, I think they can do that. And if they do, I would put the under at 60 or I put the I would put the bar at 64 and a half and I probably take the over at 65. I think he can get there. I think he can even do more. But if they don't have the right pieces and it's continues to (laughs) the roster continues to look the way it is right now, I think he's probably getting like 40 to 50 points. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a a tall task to ask any 18-year-old to come into the league and produce like a star when there's literally nothing around him. Yeah, I do think they'll probably find some sort of NHL-caliber wingers to play alongside him and maybe boost up the power play a little bit. That would be my expectation. I think if I had to make the bet right now, I'd probably take the over on the 64.5 just because I think he's that guy and they will do... Uh, somewhat of the right thing. I think exactly what you're saying. Uh, I would fall in line with that too. They'll find a a couple of wingers or something that they can put alongside him and get some flashy offense, give something to the fans for them to get excited about for the future, but still manage to lose a lot of games and uh, keep their draft position high for next year. (laughs) Yeah, that draft's going to be good at the top too, so might as well. All right. So beyond Bedard, how big is the second tier in your mind, at least for fantasy purposes, and who would you put in there? It's pretty big, I would say. For me, the top tier ends at Zach Benson. And so that would be Fentilli, um, Mitchkoff, Benson, Will Smith, Leo Carlson, in whatever order you want to put those in. I think that Mitchkoff is the clear number two, personally, and Fentilli is right there. But and then a little bit of a gap between those those three. And then personally, I like Benson next, and then Will Smith and Leo Carlson. But those all have different uh, different both risk profiles and, and floors and things like that. But the tier after that, I think, is what you're asking about. And I think there's about 10, 10 guys in that tier, and that would be mm-hmm. the rest of the NTDP guys, Leonard, Ryan Leonard, Oliver Moore, uh, Perot. And then Dvorsky, Reinbacher, Simashev, Kristal, Height, and Wood, I would say, are all kind of in that tier in different orders. And some of you might be wondering where Axel Sandin Pelik is. I would personally put him a little lower than that, even though I know he has some offense. And we'll talk about him late, later. But so there's two defenders in that list with Reinbacher and Simashev. And you could probably put ASP in there if you really wanted to. Um, but all the guys in this tier, except for ASP, I think can be a top pair D or a top six forward. That's not the floor, but that's the ceiling. And the right. reason I'm not including ASP in there is because I think he's a second to third pairing guy with potentially top power play, but not a top pairing guy. So that's the that's the difference for me. Mm-hmm. All right. So talk me through, I think... Like at least if I'm going by, you know, all the major websites out there, I do this thing for myself where I compile all the rankings, at least of all the top uh, number of players and kind of make a little average for myself. So right now the consensus is definitely Fantilli 2. And then Mitchkov and Carlson are pretty close together. And then Smith and Benson are pretty close together. Um, so talk to me about why Mitchkov should be at the top of that list. And obviously there's a little bit of risk with Mitchkov as well with the whole KHL and Russia situation. Um, how are you personally handling that in specifically in terms of a player of Mitchkov's talent? Yeah, well, 
I mean, obviously you can't completely ignore the geopolitics, but the thing is that, and I, and I can't remember who made this. I think it was maybe the athletic guys and prominent, but, but how many realistically, how many elite Russian stars have failed to come over? There, there really aren't mm-hmm. any, right? There definitely have been some guys that have failed to come over, but they're not like the, the cream of the crop type of guys, right. you know, like the your Shipishovs, okay, like we can have a debate about him, but he was not even in the same conversation as Matvey Mitchkov. So um, mm-hmm. that kind of starts and ends. What he did in the KHL, so Mitchkov had an interesting season because initially he was not getting the deployment at SKA and he was kind of being pushed down the lineup. And it was it was definitely, you know, a little weird. And and so you didn't really know what was going off and going on. And certainly the KHL is a competitive league. They're trying to win championships. They're not trying to develop their players. And so it was a little bit of a difficult situation. And then, you know, he finally got loaned to Sochi and it was, it was like nine day. He just went ballistic 27 points in 20 games. And it wasn't just like that he was scoring points, but like the way he, he was doing it, just dominating the -hmm. game as an 18 year old was just silly. And the types of plays he was doing, you know, the way he creates space, the way he manipulates his opponents, like the the things that he tries are like really high percentage and he kind of sees the ice and dictates the play. And the thing is like, he's not big. He's 5'10", 160. Some people will bring that up, but I don't really think that's going to matter because he's just so smart, you know, like just try to hit him. I I don't think you could, (laughs) you know, it's kind of like the same conversation people had about Jack Hughes. Now I'm not saying Mitchkoff is the skater that Jack Hughes is, but he's just so smart. He sees everything well before you're trying to do it. And so, his production, the, to your question, his production is just historic. You know, it's absolutely historic. You're talking about better draft seasons than Alex Ovechkin, way better than Nikita Kucherov, way better than Tereschenko, Kuznetsov. Name any Russian. He's pretty much yeah. done better than that. And so it's it's like his comps on hockey prospecting are all like legends. Korea, McDavid, yeah. Crosby, Kane, Eichel. Gretzky, Lemieux, Matthews, Jack Hughes. It's ridiculous. So yeah. he has no comps that that weren't superstars in the league. And so, you know, Adam Fantilli is awesome too, but, you know, he's also older. And I think that really helped him. And not to take mm-hmm. anything away from what he did at Michigan because it was awesome. And he's an awesome player. But I don't think he's in the same conversation, frankly, as as Mitch Koff. I I would put him just a smidge ahead. I, of course, if you're drafting... And if you want to compete right now, like Adam Fantilli being in a Ducks uniform playing next year has massive value if you're ready to compete. So that would certainly be part of the decision for me. But I like to rank based on pure upside. And I think three or four years from now, when Mitchkoff is in the league, he is going to be a better fantasy asset than Adam Fantilli. Possibly not in certain leagues that count you know, that, that really heavily weight banger stats. Cause Fentilli sure. does project to be more of a power forward. He's got that feistiness to him that Mitchkoff doesn't have. And Mitchkoff is kind of one of those. I mean, I think in many ways he kind of is like Kirill Kaprizov. He, he's not necessarily going to be the biggest volume shooter, but when he's out there, he's going to be a chance to score every single time he touches the puck and he's going to put up a ton of points. And so that's going to be valuable, even if he doesn't hit people or, you know, shoot a ton or block or anything like that. He's just going to have massive upside. And so the profile is a little bit different there. And I could see the argument if I'm, you know, if I'm ready to compete right now, um, I would 
be tempted to take Fantilli because you're getting a couple of years of production, especially on that ELC. But if you're talking about contract leagues, now here's, here's an interesting concept for you. Would you rather have Fantilli for three years on his ELC or Mishkoff on his ELC at three years? Because three years from now, when Mishkoff steps over, he's going to be like Kaprizov plus level. So your value per dollar for Mishkoff, even though you have to wait, Mm-hmm. I think is going to be a multiplier of two to three times higher than what Fantilli can give you just because Fantilli is going to be younger when he's doing it and not, yep. not as mature, regardless of how, let's just say they put up the same numbers. Like it's just going to be higher for Mitchkov, I think. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's an interesting point. Definitely for any league with a salary cap, thinking about what Mitchkov can do when he does come over. All right. Let's talk about that uh, next group of guys. Just, a few names that I've been kind of interested in, Ryan Leonard, Oliver Moore, Delibor Dvorsky. Can you kind of compare and contrast these guys for me? I keep hearing about Oliver Moore skating. You know, Dvorsky has a lot of skill. Leonard, I've heard rave reviews about his complete game. So can you kind of compare and contrast these guys and order them for me uh, based on how you would draft them in your league? Sure. Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. You know what you said. Moore and Leonard do have skill, even even though you might think of Leonard as more the grinder, like the complete player. You know, kind of more your shutdown forward. But he's got a ton of skill, and, and so does Moore. Even though he's, you know, people think, oh, he's just fast. So he he has a lot of skill too. Um, no one's a better skater than Oliver Moore. <laughs> he's just ridiculous. I think it comes down between these three in terms of risk mitigation. Like what, who do you like and what kind of upside is there? Leonard and, and strangely enough, Axel sending Pelka are the only two in the top 30 guys that I've tracked. Actually, I think at this point it's like 40 or 45. Um, I do this over at fantasy hockey life and I, I track like peripheral stats. They're the only two that have elite bash block shots hits. And so Leonard has that going for him. It's a massively high floor. If if you're in bangers leagues, then right. I think you take Leonard because you have a super high floor. And I think you hope that the skill translates. There are people who say like, Oh, he's just a, you know, he's just a, a banger checker type, you know, like Boone Jenner type, which is still valuable, but maybe not like super high in your fantasy draft. Mm-hmm. I think that he has more skill than that. I think, I think, you know, people, I've made the joke that he's the third long lost Kachuk brother. If it's anything <laughs> close to a Kachuk, yeah. then you're like you're laughing, laughing all the way to the bank. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, Moore's upside. You've probably heard this a million times is Dylan Larkin. It's hard to get away from that comp because it's so accurate. And like he, you know, they just, they looked similar at the program. They both played at the program. The one thing that is different is that the bash is definitely lower for more than it is for Dylan Larkin. I think a lot of us like Larkin because he does have nice perifs and that's, Mm-hmm. At least at this point, not true for more. I didn't go back and look at what Larkins was at the USNTDP, but it's certainly better now. And so you never know. I think more could get there. Um, Dvorsky is the one who's like, the I would say, is, well, with Leonard is the safest. All three of these guys, I think, are surefire NHLers. Like, no doubt about mm-hmm. it. I think Dvorsky is more likely to be a third liner, like a 3C with good bash, but he could also be a top six center. And I think that the key is, does Dvorsky get power play time? We saw him at the U18s and he was just awesome. Like willing Slovakia into the, mm-hmm. into the you know, semis. And that was great. You could see his skill. You could see his drive. All three of these guys have 
excellent motors. They all have excellent drives. Oliver Moore is like the biggest tryhard you'll ever see out there. Like he never quits on any play. He's always like, you know, just being a, a menace out there. He goes a million miles an hour, but he can process the speed as well as move fast. You know, that's the thing mm -hmm. about Moore. He's, he's really fantastic. And, and the other thing about Moore is that he didn't play with those other three. Basically, he didn't get to play with Smith, Leonard and Perot. And he did, you know, he put up, you know, just just about as much as Leonard did. And, you know, with what he had to work with, it's almost more impressive because those three all played with each other. And yep. he didn't, <laughs> you know, he had some some uh, well, I wouldn't say scrubs, but definitely not the same level of talent. But, but for me, like when I watch these when I watch these guys and when I watch the big three at the USNTDP, it was Ryan Leonard that drove the bus he's the one mm -hmm. who every coach is going to love who's going to play like for sure in your top six he's gonna probably get you know top roles too just because he's so responsible he's going to get empty net goals because he's going to be out there at the end of games he's going to get mm -hmm. probably power play like stand in front of the net he's just he's just awesome and i think his skill will win out uh and he has such a safe floor that I personally would take Ryan Leonard pretty high, even though some other guys might have bigger upside, like Will Smith, for example. I know you didn't ask about Smith, but Smith is just, he's, he's a little risky in the sense that he just does not play defense like at all. He's just all, yeah. he's all offense. He's all gas. And, you know, Ryan Leonard was there to clean up his mistakes. And when Ryan mm -hmm. Leonard isn't there, well, I don't know. I'm, they might play together at BC because they're all going there together. But I think it behooves the coach to split those three up and see what, Will Smith can do on his own and make him be a 200 foot player. And yeah. that'll help. That'll help all the guys. But, but Leonard is my guy for sure. All right. And we've touched on the defenseman a little bit so far, but I do want to spend some time here. When I was putting together my first pass at, at ranking these prospects for fantasy, I just kind of, similar to what you alluded to I kind of found myself just kind of pushing these guys down further and further and further um so I have four names here that I've seen um yeah pretty highly ranked I guess across most of the uh, most of the sites uh Axel Sandin Pelika David Reinbacker Mikhail Gulyayev and Dmitry Simashev um would you consider these to be the four would you add uh some others i've seen some steam for tom willander getting up into the mid first round in terms of um, the nhl draft so um, maybe there's some love for him or another defenseman would these be the four guys would you add someone to that list and who would be your the one you're most interested in for fantasy yeah those are all good options in that kind of next tier that i was talking about and I, I would i would add Villander actually to that list um but i, I can focus on those four asp as we like to call him axel sandin pelica has pretty dynamic offense he has a fair amount of groove of room to grow defensively though too we if you look at him compared to some recent swedish offensive defensemen that are a little bit undersized he's 511 not you know, not super small, but a little bit undersized guys like Niels Lundqvist, Victor Soderstrom, you know, I think certainly didn't reach their full potential. We could say, even mm -hmm. though they look like they will be some sort of NHLer, but that might be yeah. what Sandin Pelica turns into, you know, he's got some good offense, but is it, is it dynamic enough? Is it, right. is it good enough that it doesn't matter what else he does? And I'm not saying his defense is, is, 
bad. He's he tries pretty hard. He competes pretty well, and like I mentioned, he he does project to have pretty elite bash, which is I, I was surprised by that, frankly. Yeah. Um, so there's a nice floor there. I think I think he's probably better than Lundquist. He might be similar to Soderstrom. Um, but some people compare him to Eric Carlson and that's just silly. Like that's no, he's not that. Um, right. so yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's got some risk there just in terms of like, if his offense doesn't really translate, you're not going to play him. Like there's no reason to play him, uh, you know, in all situations, he's not that good two way. And then Reinbacher, I mean, he's for sure an NHLer. like he could probably step into the league next year. I, I don't think that's wise, mm-hmm. but he probably could. There's um, David St. Louis elite prospects did this video comparing or explaining his skills and, and kind of jokingly comparing him to Mo Sider. And I do think there's some, there's some rhymes there for sure. Sider mm-hmm. who's German, not Austrian. Reinbacher is Austrian, but Reinbacher, they're both great Saders. So they both have great size. Sider's two inches bigger, but still good size. Both played their draft seasons in good pro leagues, you know, and, and Reinbacher was in with the Swiss league. Um, I don't think that Reinbacher has the feistiness that Sider has. He has a real mean streak and he even showed it back, you know, earlier in his, in his development. So I don't think he's that, but man, does Reinbacher have a super safe floor? He's just, he's big. He moves well. Some people will question, does he have the offense, but like he's going to be probably at least a second pairing guy, if not a top pairing guy. And Mm -hmm. those guys are valuable. They play a lot of minutes. They get points just from being out there, even if they're not great offensively. So I, I really like Reinbacker. He is the oldest. He's one of the oldest players in this draft. I think you should we should mention he's an October birthday. And so that can matter just in terms of like how much runway he has. I think that helped him play in the National League in, Swiss, in Switzerland this year. Um, but maybe he doesn't have as much room to grow. Gulyayev is uh, similar to ASP, but more dynamic offensive, offensively and exponentially worse defensively. <laughs> um, <laughs> he also played in some really bad leagues, the, the MHL and VHL. The, the, it's really hard yeah. to evaluate players in the MHL because it, some of the teams and players are just so bad that you just do crazy stuff that you would never do elsewhere because you yeah, yeah. just can. And so some of his habits are poor because of that. He did play in the KHL. He was not interesting there. He wasn't dynamic or interesting or really that relevant and he really didn't do that well so it's kind of hard to know what to make of him i think he has a high ceiling but he has a, a zero floor as well Gulyayev, as opposed to simishev simishev is probably my favorite of this group getting saving him for last he's my favorite because you know even though he he played in the khl and some people will point to the fact that he you know he scored zero points in the khl but he was 17 most of the season playing in the second best league in the world, not only holding his own, but his course he against was one of the best in the KHL as a 17 year old. That's, that's just ridiculous. So he was more than holding his own in a great league. He's huge. He's six, four, he skates like the wind. He defends. Well, I think there's a lot of untapped offense there. He sees plays and makes passes that are pretty high level. And I think when you put him in a role against his peers, which obviously we didn't get to see because of the, the Russia thing, I think Simashev is going to rise to the top here. I think he's pretty amazing. So I would say of this group, Simashev, uh, Reinbacher, ASP, Kuliaev, which may surprise some people because that's probably the backwards order of how you would think of their offensive upside. But mm-hmm. I think the floor of these guys is super important. And just the fact that they're going to play, 
is pretty valuable. If you want the home run yeah. swing, then take Kulyaev. And I think Kulyaev will probably be available the latest. And so, right. yeah, for sure, take a swing on him because, I mean, if he hits, he's going to be super fun. But mm-hmm. he also just may never play in, even in North America. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. It's interesting to talk about Sumeshev. I'm thinking back to <laughs> when Duncan Keith, I'm going to age myself a little bit here for the younger listeners, but when Duncan Keith came into the league, I remember reading, I think it was in the Hockey News or something, um, but I remember reading a scouting report saying that Keith had a lot of untapped offensive potential, and it was a similar profile in some senses, at least based on the skating, based on uh, what they saw in terms of the just the awareness and the puck movement, and he, he obviously didn't get the opportunity to play a lot of power player offensive minutes early on, but then when he did, he absolutely became a star. So I wonder, just thinking of that parallel, it came to my mind. Um, I wonder if we could hope for something similar for Simishev. I, I think it's a really good point. And Duncan Keith is a classic example. I mean, he's just, he was an awesome skater. He had great size. He defended well. When you defend well, you create offense, right? You can create turnovers. Mm-hmm. You can transition the puck. And that's what Simishev is. So I, unfortunately, I think some team's going to take him too high because otherwise I would say, you know, maybe he'll fall and that would be great for us, you know, in fantasy right. and we could, we could snatch him up. But I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. I think someone's going to take him maybe even in the top 10 or top 15. But maybe people will still be down on him because they'll look at his numbers and they'll say, oh, this guy like literally didn't score. But mm-hmm. there's more to it than that. And, and yeah, absolutely. I think sometimes in fantasy, we just look at points and not how they're acquired. You know, this happens a lot in the, yep. in the CHL and different leagues. Like if you're on a great team, you can just put up a ton of points. But, you know, you were just kind of standing at the point, handing it to someone who fired it in the net. Like, OK, what right. did you do? You know, but Simashev, his skills... His toolbox is just so translatable. Everything he does is so pro. I mean, he literally played professional, so yeah. um, it's very translatable. And and I think that you could uh, you could end up hitting with a with a Duncan Keith type. I think that's a great analogy. All right, something to get excited about there for sure. Now something maybe a little bit less exciting for both of us, but we do need to talk about the goalies at some point. So the two that I've heard the most uh, interest in would be Trey Augustine and Michael Hrabel. Hopefully I'm saying that name right. I honestly don't know if I've heard it anyone <laughs> pronounce it before, but maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong. Talk to me about these two goalies, uh, where you think we'll see them go. I think we talked a little bit already about, you know, Neither of us are going to be sitting in our rookie drafts just hoping that a goalie comes back to us, but uh, where would you consider taking these guys uh, in your rookie drafts for fantasy this year? Yeah, definitely not sitting there praying they fall to me or anything like that. But, yeah. but uh, you know, I think if, if your league, if if you're if you have a roster deep enough where you can feel like you can add someone and wait four to five years, then definitely it's worth it to take one of these guys. If that's not the case for you, if you don't have, you know, 60, 45 to 60 picks or so, then don't bother taking one of these guys because they're going to be a very long wait. I sometimes when I, when it's late in a draft and I don't really know what else to do, I'll just take a goalie because, you know, Mm -hmm. like who knows, like none, maybe none of the forwards are that exciting or no one has like a super high floor. You know, I tend to go kind of upside and then like, you know, projectable and then, 
you know, who's got a good floor, like who's going to play and then, and then goalies. <laughs> cause, <laughs> cause that's kind of the progression for me, but I, I, I will say that Harabal, yeah, he's huge. And so people like that. Trey Augustine is six, one Harabal six, six. And so some people obviously don't like the about, about Augustine and Harabal was good internationally, but I, I, you know, I, call me a homer, but I tend to like these USNTTP guys because they are the man for their program. They get so much coaching and development, which isn't always the case in some of these leagues, you know, like USHL and stuff. And they have a pretty good track record of developing goalies. I mean, some of the names here are like John Gibson, Jake Ottinger, Thatcher Demko, Spencer Knight. Mm -hmm. Say what you want about Jack Campbell, but he's in the league. Jimmy Howard. They're certainly missed on some guys, but by and large, they have a way better track record than, you know, most of the other leagues and programs. So yeah. I'm going to bet on him. Plus his record. I think he, I think that his record was he literally lost one game in regulation all year, which is like an insane stat. So mm-hmm. Trey Augustine, Augustine just kind of has that, that it factor, you know, he just has that compete that, uh, you can't really ever count him out, even though you can look at him and you can look at the physical stats and say, eh, maybe he's not the most exciting guy or biggest guy. But, you know, look at UC Saros. That might give you some yep. indication. Not not that they're the same, but, you know, it doesn't always matter how big they are. For sure. All right. I feel like one thing that I noticed just reviewing this list of prospects was there's actually a fair bit of size in this draft, something that I felt was lacking last year. But... We have guys like Matthew Woods, Samuel Honzek, Daniil Butt. Um, talk me through some of these guys. Do you value size as an attribute? Does that enter your mind at all when evaluating these guys for fantasy purposes, um, for NHL readiness maybe? Um, does any of that come into your personal analysis, and how would you rank these three in particular? Yeah, I mean, it definitely has to factor in a little bit because they have fewer hurdles, right? There's a clearer path for them, but just having a clearer path doesn't mean you're going to take it, right? It doesn't mean you're going to get there. Um, I would, I would actually have those in the order that you listed them. Wood, Hanzek, and I believe it's pronounced boot, even though it looks like butt, which is Mm -hmm. hilarious. Um, (laughs) He has a butt head and all kinds of other butt body parts. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of good jokes that we can make yeah. for sure. I hope he makes it just for that reason. <laughs> um, but Boot, you know, he's the wild card. We'll start with him. He he could finish as the best of this three or like not even mentionable, the worst. High variability there. I think if he can figure out how to leverage his frame, he could be an awesome value pick. Right now, Daniel Boot plays like a small guy in a big guy's body. He doesn't. He hasn't quite figured out how to do that. He, you know, a lot. A lot of these small fo- Russian forwards with great hands, they kind of play this peripheral game a little bit and don't really know how to get inside. You can kind of understand it for some of these smaller guys. Boot kind of plays that way, even though he's he's big. You know, he's he's six five. He's two hundred pounds, mm-hmm. and he kind of plays like this small forward. And you're like, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> so you know, he's he's got great hockey IQ, great vision. I think once he realizes that not only can he make the beautiful scene passes, but he can just run over people like, oh, my God, if he figures that out, he's right. going to be awesome. I don't know that he will because he just seems very content with doing those fancy plays. So we'll see, you know, if he can develop into that. It's a it's a it's a who knows there. But I, I think he's interesting. Would 
Wood has nice upside and decent floor. He's got an amazing shot, really good playmaker. He's probably one of the top scorers, you know, top goal scorers of this draft. And it, and Wood also needs to figure some things out, but he could be a real power forward. He was one of the youngest players in college hockey this year, and and so that comes with some growing pains. But he ended up putting up a really good season and looked really good at the U18. So Matthew Wood, you know, it could end up being really, really good. I like him as a as a pick there in the mid first, and and then Hanzek is Slovakian by the way, but he played in the WHL, and he's just like for sure an NHLer. Like the way that he plays mm-hmm. is so pro. You know, he he may be a bottom six pro, <laughs> but he's that kind. He kind of reminds me a little bit of um, uh, Hansel back in the day. Mm-hmm. You know, big. Yep huge frame like protects the puck um has good vision can make plays but you know the question is how big is the upside there i i don't know um he's he could just be a middle six center who's kind of like you know 30 to 45 points and you're in the nhl team's happy with samuel hanzek but maybe you're not happy with him on your fantasy team that's a very realistic outcome right yeah I think it's interesting at least to go through these guys and yeah, to take that into account, to check the, check the tape and see where these guys measure in and see what that projectable size could be. I know there's definitely been some love. I was just going through the rankings while you were talking and uh, Corey Pronman has Daniel Butt at nine on his list. Um, So he's got him in his top 10, uh, which is pretty aggressive. That's not, consensus or near consensus but uh there's definitely some some love for him out there so there's definitely uh i think i think that's probably a theme as well maybe you can weigh in on this a little bit yourself victor but once you get past and probably in any draft class but uh once you kind of get past the guys that everybody knows are going in the first round then you get into this list and everybody's got a favorite so um it can be a little bit of uh, almost like a pick your poison kind of thing at that point. Yeah. Plus, you know, we all make lists and we follow who goes to which team, but each team makes their list and they pick one player, right? Usually per round or something like that. So it's really different. If you ever try to do this exercise for a team and you're looking around and you come out of there, you come out of that round with one player you know, we all like our lists. We all think we're right. We have like this order, but it's really different when that person's part of your organization and, you know, then it, how does it fit into what you have and what you need and all these things. So mm-hmm. yeah, it is really interesting. Sometimes you're like, why did, why did they do that? Why did they take that player? And it's like, well, there's, you know, a whole lot of factors that go into it. Right. And, and For sure. what they have in their system already, what kinds of players they like, you know, certain teams definitely like certain players. Some teams are really good at developing players and some teams kind of just want them to be who they are and kind of do their own thing. And so that can matter too. Um, some teams have more insight into that than others. So there's, yeah, it's, it's really interesting, but I think if you step back and just say, okay, this is, if you try to like put yourselves in their shoes, this is the team that we are. This is where we are as an organization. What do we need? What do we want? Especially if you, after you get past the first five to 10 picks, then you Mm -hmm. care about all that stuff a lot more at the very top. It's like, who's the franchise defining player you know who has the most upside kind of thing but after that all those factors weigh in a ton Mm -hmm. makes sense so we've talked about a few russian players so far but we do want to just 
yeah, talk a little bit about uh, the aspect of what do you do with a, a player that you don't really know what the geopolitical situation is going to be. How do you value that in your drafts? Like maybe with a guy like Michkov, you're just saying like this is a this is a talent level where I'm just going to draft him at his talent level because if and when he does come, he's just that much of a difference maker for my fantasy squad that um, I'm willing to be patient. But for the other guys who it takes a little bit more projection on, um, then yeah, it really does come become a bit of a consideration because maybe you are waiting a number of years to even get any kind of read on what this player might be for the NHL. Um, how are you navigating that particular situation? Uh, how do you think you'll be going about it in your drafts this year? I really don't worry about it too much because, as I alluded to earlier, the the best players come over no matter what. If they're not the Mm -hmm. best players, they don't come over. And I think in some ways it's not that different from kind of borderline CHLers. Mm -hmm. Okay, they were good in the CHL, but maybe they're not translating. Maybe their skills aren't translatable. They don't make it to the NHL. Is that really that different from some of these Russian players who – aren't quite good enough to play in the NHL. Maybe they look good in the KHL, which is, you know, obviously different because that league is professional and higher level, but also much higher paying. Right. So there's, mm-hmm. there's some, there's some nuance there, but I, I think that for the most part, all these players and Russian included, they want to make the most money and play in the best league and play against the best players. So they want to come over if they can. And yeah. not all of them do, but certainly not all of them from every league, you know, can make it either. So I tend not to worry about it too much. There was a there was a guy in one of my leagues who, when the Russia invasion happened, went completely the other way and was like trying to acquire every Russian player thinking there'd be value. And I think, you know, to some extent that was true. Like they their value did they did drop in the NHL draft and might have fallen yeah. in some of our fantasy drafts. So I think there's there's definitely the possibility for that to be very accurate. And, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily lean into that too hard, but I definitely think there's going to be some value picks. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not suggesting you be like Carolina and take all the Russians. Um, but mm-hmm. it certainly has worked out to some extent, right? Like some of their picks have really come around and looked really, really good. Some of the guys they've gotten in like the fourth yeah. round and stuff. So I think that you, you just take who you think is good and, and not really worry about that. Cause again, most of the picks, most of the guys on your prospect bench, they're not ever going to play on your main roster. So you mm-hmm. take them, you see how they progress. I, I think it is helpful that they tend to progress quicker. And if they can come, they come like Moroshenko, right. That right. I was talking about earlier, classic example of he could come over. So he did like, that is not an option for, for CHLers, right? You're just, you're going to have yeah. to wait. You're going to have to wait until they get, old enough and then they can then they usually have to play a year in the ahl so i personally like a lot of the european players for that reason you're going to figure it out earlier and the russian guys kind of fall into that too at least i can make a decision a little bit sooner yep yeah i think that's totally fair and i think there's yeah there's something to be said to just for taking the best player every single time right uh, it's a hard enough hard enough game outside of those top five or top 10 as you're mentioning it's hard enough to pick these guys as it is um, when you start adding in 
a bunch of other factors and trying to pick and choose based on other things, then it you can really muddy the waters for yourself a lot more, I feel like. And so take the players that you feel have the best chance of actually contributing something meaningful and kind of let the rest of the cards fall where they may. Uh, so we're getting towards the end here, but I do want to make some time to make sure that we've got everybody that you personally want to talk about, Victor. Was there anyone in your personal top 10 for fantasy that we haven't really dove into too much yet? Yeah, I think the big one would be Zach Benson. Zach Benson, who you're seeing a lot of variability in his ranks. I mean, Craig Button has him at 14. If he goes 14, some some team i don't remember who's picking 14 at the moment but they're getting a top line player that's insane um it's because he's 510 that's the reason and he's 160 mm-hmm. pounds but he doesn't play like and i remember talking to joel henderson who's you know big whl scout last year and he was talking about how this kid zach benson who's eligible for the following draft was at times the best player on the ice even though he was a d minus one and that continued this year, kind of outplaying some of the guys that were drafted last year on the Winnipeg Ice team, just dictating play. doesn't matter if the guys around him are, are bigger than him. He, mm-hmm. It's like 3D chess. He sees things so far in advance. He knows what you're going to do before you do it, and he has already reacted to it by the time you watch him skate by you. Like It's just insane yeah. to watch. And and he kind of goads you into these plays too. He like, you know, he'll, he'll kind of like fake or move like he's going outside and then, and then pull it back in the middle. And then you, you overcorrect and then he passes to someone on the back door and you're like, what happened? Like the (laughs) pucks on the back of your net before you even realize all these things. And you can't tell me that that's not translatable. Like being able to see the ice that far in advance, it doesn't matter how small you are. I mean, he's definitely not going to be a center in the NHL. We can say that like, that's, that's not going to be the case, but he can be an awesome playmaking winger. And, you know, some of the, comps that you you've heard about him like have found it maybe a little bit difficult because okay like how many 510 centers are there in the league which i don't think is really the right question because i don't think he's going to be a center but right um i think in the dauber guide they had his comp as sebastian aho which you know would be cool but personally i think zach benson both plays like and is physically more similar to mitch marner and mm-hmm. how he was in his draft season. And obviously Mitch was an OHL guy. And, you know, you're familiar with him as a Leafs fan, but he, yeah. he dictates the game as a winger, right? right? Like, yep. I mean, he gets to play with an all-class center, but even if Mitch Marner didn't, like he would be driving the play from the wing and he's so smart and so skilled. No one talks about the fact that he's 5'11 or 170. Like nobody cares because yeah. he's just so good. And I think that the same, same thing is going to be true for Benson. So I personally hope that Zach Benson falls in the NHL draft so that you can get him at value in your fantasy drafts because I think he's probably the third or fourth best fantasy asset in this in this draft. Awesome. All right. Uh, is there anybody, again, just giving you an opportunity to talk about anyone that you're super into this year, is there anybody outside kind of the top realm uh, maybe the guys that everybody knows. Is there anybody that you're kind of hanging your hat on so far and you're saying, yeah, this guy is going to be my guy maybe in the second round of your rookie drafts or later even? Is there a guy out there? I know last year you were you were big on the Lane Hudson train. That's looking like a pretty good call. Um, so 
Is there, can you give us uh, this year's Lane Hudson, Victor? <laughs> I will try. I don't think it's a defenseman, though. That was that was last year. But mm-hmm. I think this year it's got to be Grayson Sachin. And Sachin is a, maybe slightly undersized, 5'11". He's not that small. But the big thing is that he played on that juggernaut Seattle Thunderbirds team. And so people mm-hmm. kind of forgot about him. And he played basically played on the third line, didn't get, you know, all the power play time and best deployment, but he still put up a point per game. And he was out there in like a lot of the most difficult situations, protecting leads and things like that. He had a really important role. And the other thing that people may not realize is that Grayson Sachin, well, first of all, he's American and he played at the uh, USNTDP and he was really, really good there at the U 17 level, but he decided to go to the WHL route and not stay with the program. Mm -hmm. And what would have happened if he would have stayed there and maybe Will Smith didn't emerge the way he did. You could imagine Grayson Sachin having a Will Smith like season. And I think it's very possible that Grayson Sachin has that next year in his D plus one season just absolutely explodes for points. Mm -hmm. And, We'll we'll have to see if that happens, but I think he's someone who, when he gets that top line to, top line deployment, he could go from one point per game to two points per game in one season, and everyone's going to be like, "How did that happen?" Well, he just got the opportunity. He has the skills. Right. He is not bad defensive. I was talking earlier about how Will Smith doesn't really play defense. Well, Grayson Sachin does. He's very good defensively. He's very good both ways. That part of his game is more mature, and he's just super smart and crafty. Uh, He doesn't try as many high risk plays or complete them as often as Will Smith does, but the ones he does do still look pretty cool and they're higher percentage plays. So Grayson Sachin is my guy. He, if you look at his ranks, he, (laughs) I mean, the hockey news has him at 90. If he goes at 90, that's going to (laughs) be, that's going to be so ridiculous. I think the highest on him, I'm just looking at his page right now. Elite prospects has him at 13. And that's the highest by a lot. The next closest is 21 and then 24. So it would be a bit of a surprise, I would say, if he went in the first round. I think it's more likely he's a second, third, or later. And man, (laughs) definitely remember that name because if you can get him like with a third round fantasy pick, that would be incredible. So Grayson Sachin, there you go. All right. All right, well. This has been awesome, Victor. Thanks for bringing all your knowledge to bear on this episode. Definitely feel like I'm going to be moving some guys around my board after listening to your analysis here. Why don't you take a minute here, uh, talk to the people about what you've got going on, your podcasts. I know the Patreon over there at Fantasy Hockey Life is booming, so go ahead and plug whatever you need to here. Yeah, thanks. Really appreciate it. Yeah, so as you mentioned at the top, I do co-host two podcasts, The Fantasy Hockey Life. I've been on the longest with Jesse Severe, and so we're doing our team preview series. We do a lot of deep dynasty type analysis and prospect talk. And as as you mentioned, we do have a Patreon. And so if people are, I don't publish my ranks. I They're behind a paywall. And part of that is because it's more than just a rank. I have, uh, as I was alluding to, bash uh, block shots and hit per, um, mm-hmm. uh, tiers which is really hard to find it takes a lot of man hours to to put that together and i have them ranked by forward defense and goalie 
and we have of course the 2023 ranks and then we integrate them into the rest of the ranks forwards under 100 games uh, goalies under 50 or defensemen and forwards under 100 goalies under 50 so these ranks are always dynamic they're updated throughout the year um and so yeah definitely one of the perks we also have our tier dynasty league which uh is pretty fun i don't think you're in that nate right no no i joined the year before that i joined one of your one of your dynasties yeah yeah we we should uh the tier dynasty setup is pretty interesting because you you it doesn't quite it's kind of inspired by the cupful but it doesn't quite work the same because you can't you know as you as you ascend or get promoted or relegated you can't really keep your team but it's sort of a similar idea so you kind of like if you get promoted you you draft a new team kind of thing but it's fun for those who want to kind of play in a tiered system that's more dynasty related so that's one of our perks to being a patron so that's fantasy hockey life and then. Peter Harling and I do the Dabra Prospects Report, where we're just focused on prospects. We don't really talk about any NHLers. It's all it's all the young guys. Right now, we're finishing up our team ranking system, organizational ranks, and then we're going to be doing some draft and other coverage. And Peter and I are both going to the draft, so we will be there um, talking to some players and talking to a bunch of scouts and people. So it's going to be awesome. So if you have any Sounds things awesome. that you want to know about a certain player or about the draft or about or whatever just like hit me up and uh we'll do our best to to do that and so you can follow me on twitter at victor nuno 12 v-i-c-t-o-r-n-u-n-o one two and then uh, at dpr underscore show is the double prospects report at fan hockey life is uh fantasy hockey life there's a whole lot of stuff i said there nate hopefully people <laughs> found it interesting and, and thanks so much for having me on absolutely yeah i'll just take a second absolutely I think that anyone listening to this should go follow Victor immediately and definitely check out both of his shows. Definitely content that I personally use and value highly in my analysis and especially for Dynasty. Victor's one of the sharpest we've got. So definitely fully ascribe all that to Victor and the projects he's working on. Well, that's going to be it for this episode. Hopefully it brought you some value, helped you get a little bit better at fantasy hockey today. Many thanks to the band there there for supplying the music for this podcast. Be sure to check out their Spotify as well. And that's it, folks. Much love. Mm-hmm.